Thanks for listening to Bezier. Bezier is sponsored by Superhigh, online courses for code, design, and product management. Superhigh's courses can be done in your own home at your own pace. I've been a Superhigh student since 2017 and have gone from being a designer feeling alienated by the should designers code discourse to building my own sites and now even selling web design services. My favorite part of Superhigh is the community of learners. As a Superhigh student, you're added to this huge community of all the other Superhigh students. It's filled with inspiring people from all over the world in all different places in their careers. I've gotten work there, I found podcast guests there, and even made in-person friends, all because of Superhigh. It's easy to get started. There's an online code editor. You can do it on your own schedule. There's built-in community of learners. It's got everything you need. Start learning to code, design, or product manage today at superhigh.com. I'd like to have guests introduce themselves. Could you share a bit about yourself? My name is Tolu. Um, I live in Toronto and for my day job, I work as a product designer. But what I'm really, really passionate about is accessibility, whether that relates to design or code. And I find that it's something I'm kind of always thinking about and can't unsee. And it's, it's a really big part of my life right now. Before we get into work too much, which I'm very interested to hear more about that, maybe you could share your pronouns and what you like to do outside of work. Yeah, absolutely. My pronouns are she, her, and outside of work during COVID times, things look a little bit different. I like to do a few different things. Um, recently, I've been speaking at a few conferences, again, about like accessibility and things surrounding that. Right now, I'm a UX instructor at BrainStation, so I'm teaching an introduction to UX class, which is pretty interesting. I really love plants. I have a lot of them in my apartment. I think last time I checked, I think I had like 15 or something. So I have a lot of those. But um, I'm also a big sci-fi fan. I love anything sci-fi, movies, books, YouTube videos. I love horror movies. Uh, if a horror movie has been made in like the last 10 to 15 years, like I probably either seen it or have read about it. I used to play piano as a kid, so I'm, I'm trying to get back into that now that, I don't know, we're, we're on lockdown 24-7. It sounds like a lot of things, but um, when you have, like, infinite free time because of COVID lockdown, it's it's really not. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually started learning piano, like, this past week as part of my 2022 lockdown activity hobby situation. So yes. I'm totally with you on that. If you have pointers, I'd love to hear them. I'm curious the sci-fi slash horror movie genre is something i really enjoy as well i'm one of those people that really didn't like horror movies and like slowly slowly over time have like been a convert to it i'm curious like what's top of mind right now is do you have like a favorite or is there something that you just watched that you really loved oh that's a tough one um i think a horror movie i revisit a lot is the conjuring 2 uh, which is the one that takes place in the UK. Uh, there's a haunted house with this little girl. And I watched that one a lot. There's something really, I don't know, compelling about the atmosphere. It's always rainy and damp. And the little girl who stars it, it just absolutely kills it. You don't see a lot of children in horror movies that do a great job. So uh, honestly, it's kind of my comfort movie. I find myself going back to watch that a lot. Um, 28 Days Later, I revisit a lot. It Follows is a really good one. But I find like the atmosphere at the beginning of lockdown when like you look out your window, there like not be a soul was the perfect horror movie kind of atmosphere. Like you'll uh, never get that immersive a horror experience probably ever again. Yeah, totally. 
I, I have to say, It Falls was maybe the scariest movie I've I've ever seen. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. It scared the shit out of me. I, I saw it in theaters Same. and I was just like terrified. Oh, but maybe yeah. maybe it's worth a rewatch for me. Maybe I'll it like it better is, the next time. It is really scary. Um, I took my first solo trip after that and I was staying in this <laughs> giant hotel room and I kid you not, I had to leave like the lights on. And I mean, I was like calculating how long does it take to walk from like Toronto to Atlanta if something was falling. <laughs> um, you mentioned that you've been doing conferences lately. Uh, one, I, I'd love it if maybe you share either now or or I can put links in the show notes to any of those that that have happened already that people could check out. But I'm also curious of like if you have any tips on getting into that because I know it's something that some people are interested in exploring. But I think just like that first one. It can be an intimidating step, and I'm wondering if you have any like thoughts. How was it for your first conference talk, and what advice do you have? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good question. So um, I think it can be really hard to get into it at first and also really intimidating. I feel like there's this thought you have to be at a certain part of your career and have done some kind of work. But um, I just really like focused on things that I was interested in. Um, I had been doing a lot of accessibility work at that point. And even like doing some accessibility consulting for companies, like just outside of work as like a side gig, I guess. And I had a lot of ideas and a lot of thoughts and I was really passionate and excited about it. And so um, I just wrote something about that, honestly. And I found like the, the thing that probably made the biggest impact is that I was really excited about it, but also I felt like I had a unique perspective to share. I, I know that that can be difficult because people have gone over that topic a million different times, but different people will always share a unique perspective on something. So I would encourage people to approach it from that angle. I think that's great advice. That's probably the number one thing I hear is like, what can I contribute if there's already these people speaking about something? And I think you're totally on it. Exactly. I would love to hear more about Shopify. I'm curious if you want to share anything about like leading up to that, like what your career steps were before. But also if you could share a bit about like, what's your team look like? How long have you been there? Those sorts of details would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So for undergrad, I studied psychology. Um, I'm one of those people who's interested in like literally everything. Like I took classes in like history, biology, American lit. Like I have a really wide range of interest. So it was really hard for me to narrow things down. But um, I felt like psychology, like was interesting, but I also felt like it improved me as a person. So I, I stuck with that. Afterwards, I studied web development because I thought it would be interesting, but also something that I've always kind of had an interest in and seemed like a viable career choice. So I went and studied that, started as a web dev, and then um, I started to get really into web accessibility. My mentor at my first company, Allison Walden, taught me so much about web accessibility and really gave me the chance, even as a newbie, to get really involved in that. And I started to see that I could have more of a say in the accessibility of websites kind of earlier in the process. And that drew my attention to UX. I realized how much fun it was and I was like, hey, I could, I could do this. So um, I did. So that was a really great decision. I, I'm really happy with that. But uh, fast forward to my career right now. Right now I work at Shopify as a product designer. I work on Shopify Fulfillment Network, so uh, where we help people kind of fulfill their packages. Merchants can kind of go through the whole process with us. They can put their items online, find customers who want to buy those items, and then they can send those items to customers through us. 
So that's always really interesting. It's cool to work at, I guess, a mission-driven company that has like such a specific goal in mind, like making e-commerce better. And I think that e-commerce is a really important kind of aspect of accessibility. Going to a store, a physical store, that experience itself has a lot of obstacles. Like you go to a store and you look at all these shelves that are that are really stacked high. Unless you're tall or you have the assistance of another person, it might be really difficult to reach that top shelf, right? But like shopping online gives so much freedom and so much access. So uh, like making the web accessible gives people an alternative to going into these like in-person, potentially like really marginalizing spaces that aren't always accessible. That's my thought process anyway. I'm curious if you could define accessibility a little bit. I think that most designers know at least I'd say maybe the first level of accessibility, color contrasts, type sizes. I think maybe the second level of it is more for the web where you've got labeling buttons correctly, stuff like that. Beyond that, maybe the average designer that has not been exposed to accessibility practices doesn't know what else is there. Yeah, absolutely. I knew you were going to say color contrast first. I hear that so often. Yeah. That's like the yeah. first thing people say, which is fair. And that's an important aspect of accessibility. I would say first and foremost, I, I think of accessibility as like a lifestyle and kind of like a frame of seeing the world. Um, I consider myself someone who's super into social justice, like equity, racial justice. And I feel like accessibility is kind of like a logical extension of that. Like if you want justice for marginalized people, people with disabilities are, are part of that group. First and foremost, that is how I see accessibility. And when I say accessibility, I'm referring to that, like just justice, social justice, rights, human rights. But like more specifically, when it comes to the web, I would say accessibility is like ensuring that people are able to access websites through like multiple ways of using a computer. I think the most common way that most people are aware of is like using a mouse or using your trackpad. What about people who use their tab key to navigate? Or what about people who use like refreshable Braille devices? What about people who use zip and puff devices um, to access things? There is this like really interesting story. I, I watched this video during uh, accessibility course I took online and I found it two places on YouTube and literally I cannot find a reference anywhere else to where it exists. So like humor me for a second. I, I love this story, but um, really quickly, there's this town where everyone is a wheelchair user. So everything they build in the town isn't very tall. It doesn't need to be. Um, they don't need 10, 11, 12 foot ceilings. They build the lowest ceilings that they can because they don't need high ceilings. Everyone uses a wheelchair. The door frames are really low because they, they don't have to be any taller than that, right? Then one day, these tall people come into town, people who walk around, and they start entering buildings and interacting with people in the town. And they bump their heads on, on the door frames and they have to kind of squish down when they're inside. And you can see them from a mile away because they all have bruises on their heads. And then <laughs> um, the people in the town who are wheelchair users get really concerned, like doctors, lawyers, uh, professors, they get together and they start like these, these groups to make sure that they're talking about how they can best help the people who walk. Like, what can we do? Let's, let's start these conferences or we can talk about them. Let's uh, create charities where we can donate money to them. Um, let's buy these helmets for them so when they walk through door frames, they can wear these helmets so they won't bump their heads. Let's buy them braces so they can hold themselves at a 45 degree angle, the proper angle, and they can fit into, into spaces more easily. 
and they, they do all these things, all these kind of committees are created. And then one day, like one of the people who can walk was like, hey, like, I want to get involved in this. And they say, wait, instead of like buying us helmets and these braces that like kind of are really uncomfortable and force us to walk at a 45 degree angle, why don't we just make our buildings taller? Why don't we make it so that they can accommodate like tall people who walk and people in wheelchairs? And then that's, that's kind of the end of the story. But like, I mean, without like, I don't know, beating a dead horse, like the story is just the, the problem isn't like people who have disabilities or people who can walk. The problem is that like we are building spaces with only one kind of person in mind. That was maybe the best example I've ever heard. I love that. Thank you for sharing that story. Oh, absolutely. It's wild. Like someone needs to tell me where what this is from. I can only find it on YouTube. I think there's like two uploads and I cannot find where it, this video originally came from, but it's just such an amazing illustration of like what accessibility is, what the spirit of accessibility is. And the fact that disabilities aren't the problem, but like the problem is the frame of reference we use to create things. I'm curious if you can bring that a little bit more into like what that looks like as a product designer. Yeah. How do you, when working with something that to my knowledge is mostly digital, you know, sort of apply that lens. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. Um, I think a lot of that just looks like thinking about different ways of using a computer. So, um, yeah, like I said, most people use a mouse or a trackpad. Um, when I had carpal tunnel, for example, in my right hand, I, my hand swelled up and I could not grip anything. And I was trying to figure out like, how on earth do I do my daily tasks? So I had to like use a screen reader to like help me like navigate through pages more easily. I had to use like speech to text to help me write things out. And it becomes really apparent how frustrating those experiences can be when you're using software not designed for it. So as a, a product designer, I think a lot of accessibility considerations just involve me taking a step back and thinking about what this experience looks like if someone's not using a mouse or a trackpad. I know a lot of people think of color contrast, people who are blind, but those are not the only people using products. And even if someone is blind is using a product, they are not the only user group you should be thinking about, right? There are other people who perhaps um, have dyslexia, so they need to zoom in so they can focus on content more easily. Like there's so many different users. I find just thinking about different ways of using technology is a, is a good headspace to be in as a designer. Can you share a bit about like your process or what a typical workday looks like? at Shopify yeah. focusing on accessibility and, and product design? Absolutely. I know it's cliche, but there honestly is no typical work day. Recently, <laughs> I used to do nine to five, but recently I've started getting up a little bit early and I'm doing eight to four because I find I can focus better in the mornings. But things look really, really different. Say I'm working on something net new. That's a great situation to be in because we can start chatting about that from the very early stages and challenging our assumptions. But when working on something that already exists and you're kind of like building on top of it or modifying it, it can be a little bit more challenging because there's kind of like more retrofitting involved in that process and like talking a lot about that. So um, having a design system is also an interesting kind of position to be in because those components are built usually with accessibility in mind, but like the accessibility of them is highly context dependent. Besides like thinking about the question that we're solving and the best way to do that through like our components, it also looks like thinking about the context and like which we are using these components and if they're, they're still accessible. 
in that context. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of like cross-disciplinary like collaboration, I'd say. Like on paper, something can be perfectly accessible and depending on like kind of the execution of that, that could make it completely inaccessible. And accessibility, I feel like is kind of all or nothing. People like to be like, oh, we have these features. So like what percentage of accessibility do we have? But like it's literally accessible or it's not. <laughs> yeah. And just to jump off from that a little bit, you know, you said you used to be nine to five and I know a little bit about Shopify changing during the pandemic of going sort of like remote first. Are you doing a four day work week? I'm just curious, like how that shift has changed and like, what is your work style look like when you're working? I'm assuming some asynchronous and remote and all the other sort of changes that have happened. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So we are a hundred percent remote right now. Um, with no intention of ever going back to the office. So that's an interesting shift. I don't know about you, but like working in an office space, I was always like some level of distracted. Like there's always noise, people are like moving around you. It was always really hard for me to focus. So it's wild for me to like work at home now where I can have like extended periods where I'm focused. I feel like, well, when we weren't in lockdown, I feel like work was kind of like no longer the main event of my life. Like I had a life and like work was part of it, but I got to like kind of schedule other things around. So if I needed to go to a doctor's appointment at lunch, I kind of just got up and went. If I had to be, I don't know, at my parents' place on the weekend, I could leave on Thursday night and be there before traffic got bad on Friday. So that's really cool. As far as four-day work week, for summer hours, we did do four-day work weeks for a few weeks, which is really awesome. And then like working with people from different time zones, it's becoming something that we're doing more. Um, I just find that being really good about like having everything in writing is super helpful and just getting more organized and passing things off. Usually the people I work with kind of have some overlapping hours, whether they're like in Pacific time or like they're in Europe. I'm in Toronto, so I'm in Eastern time. So it's been interesting. One really cool trend I'm kind of keeping a pulse on is I know um, in the UK right now, there's like a think tank I think that's like sponsored a whole bunch of companies to try out a four-day work week for six months it's like a whole dozens maybe hundreds I don't know of companies are actually trying this for an extended period of time so it'll be really cool to see like the results of that trial and see how it impacts like remote work I, I'm really excited to see that I feel like COVID is kind of like pushed work like for like 50 years I don't think we'd be having these same combos about remote work if it wasn't for COVID so if it can push it forward another 50 years, we can talk about four-day work weeks. That would be amazing. It's funny you mentioned that. Yesterday was when I saw that article about the UK testing it with like all these different firms. And so I brought it up with my team. And today we decided we're going to test out a four-day work week starting in February. So we're That's also so cool. going that direction. And that's sort of why I asked as well is because I'm curious. <laughs> that's so awesome. You have to like keep us posted on how that goes. I, I can't imagine we'd stop. Like once you go that direction, like I can't yeah. imagine being like, all right, everybody, you're working an extra day now. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. I, I have to assume it's permanent, but our team's been really flexible about when we work already. So it shouldn't be a huge adjustment for us. It's just really a, adjusting our client expectations, which should be all right as well. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, all the like kind of reports I've seen from like working from home and like four day work week. I have yet to see a single kind of report about productivity going down. These things all seem to like improve productivity, if anything. So uh, it's 
it's encouraging. The only negative articles I've seen are probably written by like companies that own office space. So, uh, and yeah. it's very obvious. So yeah. What's one piece of advice you have for someone that wants to get started, uh, either as a product designer or that's a designer that wants to learn more about accessibility? I think you mentioned an online course. Is that where you started with the online course or, you know, what, what's a good starting place for somebody? Yeah, that's a really good question. So first though, the piece of advice. So I guess this piece of advice is like highly tailored to like people like me who are women, black women. I would say that the most important thing you can do for your career is work on your confidence. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't relate to, to the work itself, but confidence is so, so, so important. I've seen people who um, are really good at what they do, but they don't have confidence. So it's really hard for them to move forward in their careers. And inversely, I've seen people who seem to have like very little idea of what they're doing, but moving forward because they are confident. So that is, that's so important. And of course, like, it, it has to kind of like be tempered to like your ability level. But for for women, black women, especially, I think that's something that we all really need to work on or confident as far as accessibility. I think there's just like misconception a lot of the times that like the way to become someone who is well versed in accessibility is like getting a certification. But really, I feel like a certification should be the last step in that process. Certification comes after you've been doing the practice, right? Like after you know how to do the work. So like my biggest piece of advice would be just start doing the work. So like do the research, um, listen to talks about it. Of course, there are online um, courses which are helpful to do, but like certification should probably be like the last step in that journey after you feel like you confidently are like a consistent accessibility practitioner. What about more senior people? What advice you have for somebody or, or wish some, somebody that's like a, a senior designer hears? I think something that I observe a lot of the time is that people in senior positions maybe don't recognize the privilege of the position that they're in. And a lot of times, like having the title of senior um, kind of gives people the, the idea that they're like in a certain position over other people. But at the end of, end of the day, there are people who don't have that senior title have a lot to contribute. And sometimes, very often, they are more knowledgeable in certain areas than people who do have the senior title. Um, I think there's a lot of privilege attached to having the title of senior. And there are certain people who are more likely to get that title earlier than others. So um, I think it's just, like, important to be aware of that. that like, it's a title, but, like, it's not a value attribute. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't say that you have more knowledge in certain areas than other people. I love our creative communities and there's so many positive things about them. But on the flip side, there are a lot of negatives as well. What are your tips for fighting and resisting the white supremacy, the patriarchy, the ableism, the racism, the sexism, and all the other bigotries that are in our industry? That's a really good question. Honestly, it's really, it's really tough. I think it really wears down on your mental health constantly be, being inundated with these negative messages that basically just say that people like you are less than for for one reason or another i think the biggest thing that i've found to like kind of steel myself against it is to really protect and prioritize my mental health above everything else above work above my career like your mental health comes first if you don't have that you don't really have a toolkit to deal with anything else it's really tough some of these like messages are really subtle and I think sometimes like you even fall into the trap of like 
of thinking that maybe you're the one that's overreacting or maybe you're the one who's not playing by the rules. I think having a good support system is really helpful um, of people who have similar experiences to you is really good, but also like building that confidence. So like you're in a place to not take all those things to heart. I think one really common thing I hear being said to women and women of color, black women particularly is like, for example, title doesn't matter. And interestingly, the only people who I've ever heard say that are white men. Um, Messages like that, I think, are like really harmful. Like it minimizes people's like goals. But also there is a reason that people want certain titles, right? Like those come with more prestige. They come with more trust. They come with higher compensation. But yeah, uh, I think stealing yourself against it by like protecting your mental health and having a good support system is so, so important in this industry. Otherwise, like the road to burnout, I think is, is really easy to go down. Yeah. And I think something that's super insidious about burnout is like, sometimes you don't know you're in it for a while and that makes it so much worse. Um, mm-hmm. And I re- really liked that you said twice now, like confidence is a, it's like a good starting point for a lot of things. And I, I really like that message. I'm curious what you do for your mental health, if you don't mind sharing. Like, do you have an activity that's your escapism? I know you talked about some of your interests outside of work already, but what's your go-to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I, I have a lot of different strategies that, that I try to adjust. I like taking baths. I think those are super relaxing and just like, it's just nice. Um, yeah, I love watching movies. I think I especially enjoy like horror movies and sci-fi because of that like escapism. One thing I found is really helpful for my mental health is actually starting work earlier. Um, just because it's like really quiet when I start and I have some time to focus and kind of like get into things before I'm inundated with requests and messages, sharing things with friends, but also like speaking to like professionals. Like I, I think therapists are such a good tool that maybe people don't talk about often enough. But having someone who is equipped and trained to talk about your mental health is so, so important. Family and friends can provide a certain level of support, but speaking to a professional provides support that those people probably aren't equipped to give. And um, you have this dedicated person who's just there to support you and help you work towards your goals. So I think that's just so important. And um, it's often downplayed. I think therapy is kind of like the one thing that most people, maybe all people can benefit from. Um, even if you feel great, there, there's kind of just like maintenance work you can do, right? But um, I would highly recommend looking into that. It can get expensive, but there are usually like options like for helplines and things to call, especially during COVID that I would really recommend people people take advantage of. Yeah, me too. And that is one of the areas I really hope access becomes easier is just the affordability and the availability of therapy especially after yeah. a pandemic. I think everybody's going to be processing a lot of different things from yeah. here on out. Yeah. Absolutely. Who is one person that you think the listeners should know about? This is a really tough question. I would say, even though this person is no longer alive, I would say Malcolm X. I think a lot of times when we talk about civil rights, especially the fight for civil rights um, when it comes to Black people. Uh, we talk a lot about figures like Martin Luther King Jr., who's very well known and made some amazing contributions to the civil rights movement. And that civil rights movement for Black people also like set the stage for civil rights movements for other people of color and even for people with disabilities. 
But I think his message is often like sanitized and whitewashed to fit a certain narrative. But Malcolm X, for example, who I think his message was perhaps a bit less watered down, tends to be tends to be kind of put in the background a little bit because, of course, like the education system doesn't want to teach you about a figure that might make you question the the like how whitewashed your curriculum is, right? But right. I think, um, yeah, reading his autobiography was like a really big turning point for me. Uh, it was great to like read a perspective of a black person who like outlined their struggles and yeah, the struggles that they face, the, the really cruel, the really cruel experiences they were they had at the hands of of white supremacists, but also how they kind of overcame those and created a life for themselves that they liked. Yeah, that book was a really big turning point for me. And I think everyone should know about Malcolm X and be at least familiar with with what he stood for and what he spoke about. My next question is, what book do you think everyone should read? Let's let's have that one and maybe another one. We'll have two, a bonus. But do you have another book recommendation by any chance? Yeah, there's a book I read as a child that I still think of really often. I think it I don't know, like, uh, the images from it, like, I still have, like, dreams about, like, I don't know, the mental imagery from it. When I was a kid, I got this, like, box set of the Chronicles of Narnia, and one of the books in the series, I can't even remember the name, but it's, like, one of the earlier books, before The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but it's a book that, like, kind of features this forest between worlds, and it's just, like, just, like, wild mental imagery, so there's just, like, forest with, like, uh trees of like a similar size there are no animals in there but like there are these massive different pools of water all around this forest and each of these pools like uh leads to a different i want to say like dimension or like reality but just like that mental image of like someone emerging from one pool that pool's reality and like walking around the forest and like jumping into another reality is just like something i think back to a lot even though i read that book like years and years ago Maybe that book. I can't remember what it's called, but uh, I still think about it a lot. I love that imagery. It sounds wonderful. It's, yeah, really magical. I don't know. I feel like it's um my first intro to like fantasy, maybe a little bit of sci-fi. I will have to read it. We'll find uh we'll find out which one and put it in the show notes as well. I believe everyone should get paid for their time, so we share the profits from our advertisers with all of our guests. Are there other ways that the listeners can support you? Yeah, I mean, I have a Twitter account that they could follow. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Tolu underscore XYZ. Um, I also have an accessibility consulting business. So if you are looking to learn more about web accessibility or just like accessibility, like in general terms, um, if you're a designer or developer looking to learn more about accessibility and you need help, like feel free to, to reach out to me. Yes, please, please hire you. <laughs> <laughs> Please I know, hire I'm gonna, me. Yes, I know. I'm going to bring you into our team to chat as well. So um, we will hire you. But uh, yes, more people hire you. We'll put a link to that. That'll be the first link in the show notes. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah I'm. I'm really excited to to chat with your team. Actually, oh, we're very excited to have you. And I was going to ask if there are the best place for people to find you, but your website and your Twitter are definitely already in the show notes. Anything else that you would like to share before we wrap up? I think that that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, Twitter, probably the best place to find me or email. But uh, yeah, this is a really neat chat. Thanks for having me. 
Bezier is a design interview podcast amplifying voices in our creative communities that don't already have large platforms and aren't working at big five tech companies. We focus on finding guests from all over the world and representative of as many of us as possible. If you have a great guest idea for Bezier, please email us at inquiry at zoct.studio. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at Z-A-C-H-T dot studio.